Hi, the Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up, when famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the sea spill over and the mountains shake, break and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is Good evening and welcome to this broadcast of New Abilene. Radio. My name is Scotty Reed, and I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. It is August the 8th, 2018, on this Wednesday evening. So glad that you could tune in and join us. Uh, Max is off tonight. He has a medical condition that has been getting progressively worse. Um, he did go see his health care provider today, and he's taking the evening off getting some much-needed rest, so it'll just be yours truly uh, holding down the fort tonight, so to speak. Uh, we do. Max did contribute some articles that he wanted me to share, and I definitely will share those, but let me first just go over uh, our introduction. Um New Abolitionist Radio, which you are listening to right now, is an award-winning weekly radio broadcast and podcast series, which was started in 2012 to bring awareness to legalized slavery and human trafficking in the United States, which is inadequately referred to as mass incarceration. Tonight is our August 8th broadcast in our seventh season of production. 
Tonight we have a number of articles to discuss, including one from a surprising source about wrongful convictions in Oklahoma. A homeless teen victimized by Florida cops speak out or speaks out on how he was set up, which was admitted to by one of the police officers who was ordered to pin unsolved burglaries on black people. Protests are being staged right now against the two largest private prison companies in the world, Geo Group and Encore Civic. Geo Group threatens to sue Florida activists over the protests and says activists are spreading false information about the company. Of course, we will have our regular segments, which include our abolitionists and profile tonight. We will feature the entire Underground Railroad, and our writer of the 21st century Underground Railroad will be Chicago native Marcel Brown. Again, Max is off tonight, and I'm sitting in holding down the fort in his absence. And if you have any questions or comments about any of the stories that we are talking about tonight or we will share with you tonight, please feel free to give us a call at 704-802-5056. That's 704-802-5056. Hit star star to enter into the caller's queue. Please watch your background noise. Once I notice you on our board, I will come to you as soon as possible. And thank you again for joining us. Now, before I get into tonight's program, as the manager or the president of Black Talk Media Project and the manager of Black Talk Radio Network, I do have some uh, network information I would like to disseminate at this time. Uh, Yesterday, um, or the day before yesterday, I received a report from our UK volunteers, shout out to Agent M. Um, We really appreciate you pitching in and helping out with us gathering the stats concerning our radio broadcast as well as all the podcasts distributed by the Black Talk Media Project through the Black Talk Radio Network and a couple of other platforms. That report I sent out uh, yesterday after I went over it And so if you are a donor or if you are a podcaster or radio host on the network, uh, please check your email. Again, that email was sent out yesterday um, with a link to the report that you can download. It's in PDF format. I also put out a message in that. um, I put out a message in in the uh, press release. I don't know if I should call it a press release or the newsletter uh, announcing that the uh, stats were available. But I stated that we were going to leave Uber Conference, which we've been hosting our uh, using for our communication system for about two years now. And I mentioned that due to budgetary concerns that I was going to cease and desist from using Uber Conference and go back to our old free conference line. Um, I had some issues yesterday. I put out a podcast about Eric Benet's comments about rappers being blackface for white supremacy and what have you. I was trying to get an interview done, which I eventually did. Um, but I was trying to get an interview done with uh, our our good brother Kwabana Rasuli of Clear the Airways Projects to get his comments. 
and I was just having a lot of problems with Skype and with uh, what's the other one that I use sometimes um, um, I can't think of it right now Google Hangouts that's the one and I wasn't able to call him well I was able to call him but Skype just regardless of the settings and I tell it not to mess with my audio settings it wants to mess with the audio settings anyway and and you know the audio settings kept fluctuating when I tried to interview the first time and I couldn't do it so Uber conference does allow us to call our potential guests in addition to giving us a toll free number and a um, seven digit local number um, we're going to have to stick with it because I don't want to ask people on for interviews and have them call in a conference line with all these different code numbers and all of that. I'd rather just call them. So I'll just find something else in the budget to cut unless we get an increase in donations or memberships to btrcommunity.com, our social media platform, uh, which has a $25 excuse me, $24 a year subscription, which helps us fund our media activities. So uh, in lieu of an increase in those memberships or outright donations, I'm going to have to find something else to cut from the budget. So um, just scratch that. We will continue to use this Uber conference line. So um, sorry about any confusion, but I just needed to put that information out. Okay. Uh, let me see, is there anything else concerning network news that I need to put out? I can't think of anything pressing right now. So I will get us started with tonight's broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, the first thing up, let me see, where am I getting a call from? Where, I, I don't see, that's Skype right there. I don't even have Skype open. I thought I didn't have it open and somebody's trying to call me on Skype. But anyway, let me shut that down. Give me just a moment. I had closed it and let me see, it's still trying to do whatever. I I don't know who was calling me, but they can leave a message, right? All right, so I got it closed. Sorry about that interruption. I don't know if y'all could hear that or not. Uh, Anyway, first story. We got a couple of stories as I mentioned in the opening. Um, The first story that Max shared was a story that was posted to CBSnews.com and it's a story about modern slavery but you regular listeners of New Abolitionist Radio, I don't have to tell you they was not talking about prison slavery via the 13th Amendment. They want to talk about every other kind of slavery and they're worthy of being talked about. Slavery is wrong in all its forms as the UN Declaration of Human Rights states. Slavery is in in many uh, different forms. The illegal form or also the legal form where it's state-sponsored slavery. Now they do talk about some state-sponsored slavery but again they're not talking about prison slavery, but let me go ahead and get into some of the article. This article was published about five days ago. It says, modern slavery ensnares an estimated 400,000 Americans. And see, this is why I don't like using metaphors for slavery. 
um, because we we hear people saying athletes, even professional athletes. You know, the argument can be made for college athletes being slaves. I think Sean King might have convinced me of that with an article he wrote about a lawsuit that was filed by a former player uh, demanding, you know, something like work, study, pay for athletes. And the NCAA, yes, yeah, the NCAA, right? Uh, yeah, the NCAA responded to that man's lawsuit as Sean King wrote with the 13th Amendment saying that slavery is completely legal in the United States. Therefore, we don't have to pay you uh, uh, college athletes. In terms of professional athletes, no, that's not slavery. I don't care if they're inspecting their bodies to make sure they don't have any uh, preconditions or injuries where they might die on the field and, and what have you. I don't care that, yeah, the imagery may be similar of of uh, pro prospective uh, slavers inspecting the property, the human property that they was thinking about buying and with, you know, doctors going over these athletes and checking out, you know, the condition of their bodies and their overall health. The imagery is the same, but it's not the same institution. And I hate these freaking metaphors. Low-wage jobs, like working at Walmart, which uses prison slavery in its uh, uh, business practices along with other companies, but working as a greeter or a receipt checker or a cashier for very low pay, um, so low that you qualify for food stamps and, and other uh, government subsidies and what have you, that's still not slavery because you can quit at any time. You're free to go. You're free to leave at any time. Can't do that in, in 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 the type of slavery that we focus on. You you just don't get to say, "Hey, I don't want to work here no more. I'm going home." No, it it don't work that way. Okay, so let's stop with the metaphors, calling stuff slavery. That's not slavery. But let, I digress. Let me get into the article. More than 40 million people, this is an article by Kate Gibson, by the way, and it was posted in the Money Watch section of CBSNews.com. It says, more than 40 million people around the world are trapped in a state of modern slavery such as forced marriage and state-mandated labor. An estimated 400,000 of that number live in the United States. So concludes a recent report by a human rights group Walk Free Foundation, which also found that one in 800 Americans today works under conditions that amount to forced labor. Again, I, unless they're locking you in the freaking building, unless they're holding you hostage like they do some of these migrant workers that are undocumented and holding them hostages on farms and forcing them to live in trailers or wherever they're housing them. To, and in in some cases, they it's documented immigrants who have passports and they'll take their passports and force them to work. But if you're working for a company, I don't care how horrible the conditions, it don't amount to forced labor if you can leave at any freaking time. Okay? So anyway, I continue with this article. The phrase modern slavery is based on a United Nations standard and refers to a situation where someone is unable to leave. So again, if you're able to say I quit 
or don't show up to work the next day, then you are able to leave. So it's not slavery. Now they go on to say that can involve everything from sex work, enforced marriage to construction projects where workers are deprived of basic employee rights. Davina uh, Durgana, a senior statistician and co-author of the report told CBS. Again, I, 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 I disagree. I disagree. If they're violating OSHA uh, laws, if they're violating labor laws, they don't make it slavery because those victims can go file a lawsuit in federal court, go to the EEOC, go to OSHA, go to state agencies and report these freaking people. And if they can leave, again, it's not slavery. It's just deplorable conditions, okay? It's not slavery. It goes on to say the organization's global slavery index found that most of those subjected subjected to forced conditions live in Asia. Conditions are harshest in North Korea where the researchers estimate one in 10 people or 2.6 million are victims of modern slavery. Again, with their wishy-washy definition, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to pay that no attention. Unless you've gone to North Korea and, and you know, you're able to document these people. Ugh, man. Now, he says, we call it state-imposed forced labor, said uh, Durgana, of political dissidents and others sentenced to hard labor in North Korea and other nations. Now, they're talking about people who have been sentenced to prison for crimes, okay? Whether or not, just as in the United States, we agree that certain activities should not or should be labeled crime. Again, nonviolent, victimless drug crimes comes to mind. Shouldn't even be a crime. Uh, if I want to put something in my body, it doesn't matter if you approve of it or not. I'm not harming you. So where is the crime? Okay. So anyway, it says the major factor driving modern slavery around the globe is consumerism. The U.S. is the biggest purchaser of foreign goods at risk of being made through forced labor, the group says, while China is the largest source of products made under conditions of duress. Conversely, the U.S. does better than most countries in tackling the issue behind only the Netherlands in implementing policies to curb modern slavery. Consumers concerned about such abuses should consider how the products they buy are sourced, especially when it comes to buying cocoa, fish, apparel, and electronics, Dugano advised. Now, see, this is what pisses me off. I'm looking at this. It's propaganda because you mostly focused on North Korea and China while your title said an estimated 400,000 Americans are living under these or forced to work under these conditions. Again, your definitions of slavery are, are suspect to me. All right, because anybody that can just up and leave or don't come back and, and slave catchers aren't sent on their track or uh, to track them down and bring them back, then it's not slavery. Okay? Now, these other things like forced marriage, I don't think that's happening a lot in the United States. To be honest with you, I don't know. I have had heard stories of immigrants who come to these uh, countries and that's part of their culture and they continue to force 
um, you know, people to get married, even children sometimes and, and what have you. So, I, I, you know, again, slavery does exist outside of the prison industrial complex, the prison plantation. Um, but this article, it, it, it tells nothing about the products made by prison slaves. I, I hate to use that term, but it's the most accurate term who we have documented over the years on this program, if you go to the website of Unicor, if they haven't taken it down, where companies can go buy products made by federal prison slaves. You know, they was talking about electronics made in China. Well, prison slaves in the United States even work on electronics that are part of guidance systems of smart bombs here in the United States. They not only do that, for the military, but they also make uniforms and what have you. They make furniture. They, My little brother, who was 10 years a prison slave, was forced to work on a turkey farm here in North Carolina. They process beef, poultry, and fish here in the United States. Places like Walmart use prison labor to break down all those items that are returned to them, especially after Christmas and what, you know, the return packages that might have been open and need to be repackaged, okay? McDonald's uses subcontractors that utilize prison labor. So, what's up, Walk Free Foundation? Why are you, not, why are you ignoring legalized state-sponsored slavery right here in the United States. All right, so I, I'll leave that. <laughs> I'll leave that alone, man. I just hate metaphors, y'all. I hate metaphors. I hate propaganda pieces that point fingers at other nations while while failing to keep the focus on where we live. So anyway, that's that story. Um, man, there's a bunch of stories. I don't think I'm gonna be able to get to all of these. Um, because there are some stories that I posted that I wanted to uh, make sure we have time to get to. Now, I do want to mention this story right here. It's not really a story, but it's a list of demands. As y'all know, um, August the 21st will be a nationwide prison strike by prison slaves. And they have a list of demands. So I want to read those list of demands first. Let me get my browser right. Okay, let me um, increase the size of this image so I can read it to you. And this is a list of demands by those who will be participating in the nationwide prison strike by prison slaves on August the 21st. And then I want to share something I heard from one of the prisoner groups on Twitter that I found to be very troubling. Anyway, this is the list of demands. It says, number one, immediate improvements to the conditions of prisons and prison policies that recognize the humanity of imprisoned persons. Two, an immediate end to prison slavery. All persons in prison in any place of detention under United States jurisdiction must be paid the prevailing wage in their state or territory for their labor. Again, that's slavery. It's slavery. It's in the 13th Amendment. Three, the Prison Litigation Reform Act must be rescinded, allowing imprisoned humans and proper channel to address grievances 
in violations of their rights. Now, again, most of these people are, are supposed to be American citizens. Show me in the Constitution, other than the 13th Amendment, because, you know, then you're going to have to admit that they're no longer citizens, they're slaves. But you show me in the United States Constitution where it says that, or a state constitution for that matter, where it says that when you're in prison, you're stripped of your American citizenship. Show me where it says that. The only, only thing you can show me is the 13th Amendment, which says slavery and involuntary servitude shall be abolished except as punishment for crime whereof the party has been duly convicted. Not, as Otis would say, uh, 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 rightly convicted, but duly convicted. And one of our stories tonight from a very unlikely source will focus on Oklahoma's terrible record of wrongful convictions. So these these people are modern day slaves. Okay, number four, the Truth in Sentencing Act and the Sentencing Reform Act must be rescinded so that imprisoned humans have a possibility of rehabilitation and parole. No human shall be sentenced to death by incarceration or serve any sentence without the possibility of parole. Number five, an immediate end to the racial overcharging, oversentencing, and parole denials of black and brown humans. Black humans shall no longer be denied parole because the victim of the crime was white, which is a particularly a particular problem in southern states. Six, an immediate end to racist gang enhancement laws targeting black and brown humans. Number seven, and quick note on that, you don't see them using these laws against these neo-Nazis. Tell me they don't fit the definition of a gang, although I would, would identify them as terrorist groups. All right, but how come? How come? Other than the obvious racism, they are not treated or subjected to these laws that are used against uh, black and brown communities. The racist gang enhancement laws. All right, number seven. No imprisoned human shall be denied access to rehabilitation programs at their place of detention because of their label as a violent offender. I mean, that's that's who really needs, if they did the crime, because again, wrongful convictions are rampant in the United States, but you would think that a violent offender is the one who most needs rehabilitation uh, services, but they are excluding them, all right? Number eight, state prisons must be funded specifically to offer more rehabilitation services. All right. Number nine, Pell Grants must be reinstated in all U.S. states and territories. Matter of fact, I was just um, uh, watching earlier today an interview by uh, 
excuse me, Obama's former education secretary, Arne Duncan, he just came out with a book and he did an interview. I forget which uh, outlet it was, excuse me. <coughs> I forget which outlet it was, but he was talking about um, the education system runs on lies. And I actually started working on an article that I didn't get to finish, but I'll try to finish uh, sometime tomorrow and get it published. But anyway, he was talking about how great a job the Obama administration did with Pell Grants, and that is not what I heard from, um, you know, some people who I trust who research this sort of financial data, you know, YouTube channels like uh, Tone Talks and Breaking Browns, because I, I, I distinctly remember them saying how the Pell Grant rules were changed that it basically was... Um, keeping a lot of people from getting Pell Grants. I can't remember all the details and, and what have you, but yeah, I was just thinking about that today. Anyway, number 10, the voting rights of all confined citizens serving prison sentences, pre-child detainees, that's people in jail who haven't been convicted of anything, and so-called ex-felons must be counted. Representation is demanded. All voices count. And as I've stated before, you know, we were told that there was a revolutionary war by uh, uh, American colonists against the British due to taxation without representation. Okay? So, and this also goes back to my earlier comments. Show me in the Constitution where these people are deemed to, are stripped of their American citizenship. Because that's a long process. There's a formal process you have to go through when you denounce your U.S. citizenship. That, that's a whole process. People have done that and moved out the country and say, hey, I don't want to be associated. I don't want to be taxed. I denounce, rescind, whatever. I'm putting in the paperwork to have my citizenship terminated. Show me in the Constitution where it says that about prisoners. Unless you point me to the 13th Amendment that says hey, they're not citizens when they're when they've been duly convicted. They now are involuntary servants and slaves according to the 13th Amendment. So you can't have it both ways. Either you're going to admit that you're still practicing slavery or you're going to respect these people's citizenship rights. Again, a revolutionary war was started over this very question. So, that's the list of demands for the nationwide prison strike um, where prison slaves will refuse to work because most prisons are run by the prisoners. That's how they save money. That's why the private prison industry is so profitable. All right? And um, it will be going down August the 21st. Now, some troubling news. And let me just check my board right quick. Some troubling news. And I, I just want to say to those that's in the chat, uh, I'm not able, I'm by myself, so I'm not able to really read that and monitor the board properly. I will check for callers, but... Um, 
Call on air if you want to contribute. Please, just give us a call, 704-802-5056, and share that audience with those, uh, share that information with those that's not in the chat room, if you don't mind. Okay, um, let me see. Now, this is, this is, I came across this on Twitter today by one of the, um, let me pull up my Twitter account. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it is twitter.com slash Black Talk Radio, or as they say, at Black Talk Radio. All right, let me pull it up so I can tell you which account. And it is my belief, I don't know for sure, but it's my belief, it's an account that is managed by prison slaves. All right, so uh, tweets and replies. Let me pull up the exact tweet that I'm talking about. Um, yeah, here it is. It's, you will find this account. It says, it's prison slavery, August the 21st. The account on Twitter is at slavery prison at slavery prison so I came across this today and they posted it yesterday cause I you know I haven't been spending too much time on social media lately uh, but South Carolina prisoners in honor and care to units are receiving threats from other prisoners regarding going to work they don't want to work on August the 21st but the prisons are ignoring the situation again we will put out a call Call in number shortly. We will need folks to call South Carolina. So I'm thinking this is a prison in South Carolina. Uh, SCDC headquarters. Okay. And South Carolina has been in the news, um, you know, over the past month for um, the violence and, and some other abuses and what have you uh, in those prisons in South Carolina. Now, again, let me reread this part, the relevant portion that I found to be very troubling. South Carolina prisoners in honor and character units are receiving threats from other prisoners regarding going to work. So these, this particular set of prisoners want to participate in the nationwide strike and have made it known that they will participate. Now you got other prisoners who are threatening them. What the hell? What the hell is that? What is that? Is that some Stockholm Syndrome going on? Why would another prisoner, like I say in my tweet to them, why would they care if a fellow prison slave goes on a work strike? What the, you know what? That makes no sense to me. What, what are these people, snitches? Are they like, the guards pets or something you know they they trying to score brownie points and and get some special plantation privileges or something why would they be threatening other prisoners simply because those prisoners want to participate in a nationwide work strike that is sad it is sick and those people need some help they need some mental health treatment right away. Because that just that just blows my mind. What do you care if another prisoner goes to work inside the prison or not? What business is it of yours? What, you scared that they're going to put y'all on lockdown like they've done in the past? 
So freaking what? This is a protest against prison slavery. And you are a victim of prison slavery. And obviously, you must have Stockholm Syndrome that not only are you not participating, but you're trying to prevent others from participating. That, uh, that man, this is crazy, man. And, and I would not, I would not put it past prison officials to put these other prisoners up to it. Because as the tweet says, the prison administration is ignoring these threats and what have you. Truly sad story. Sorry, I was very disturbed when I read that tweet which was sent out yesterday by the Twitter account at Slavery Prison. Disgusting, very disgusting. All right, let me move on find a couple of other stories um, that Max wanted me to share with you all and that I mentioned in the write-up. All right, here we go. A homeless teen hits back at Florida police after they admit to framing him for multiple burglaries. Homeless teen. Let me pull up the story. I think we shared this story last week or maybe the week before. Um... But this story has been shared a lot on social media. But one of the victims is coming forth. So this comes to you from Raw's story. It was published by Noor al Sibai on August the 7th. It says, a homeless black teen is suing police in Biscayne Park, Florida, after the town's police chief admitted to framing him for multiple burglaries in order to clear the department's backlog and make it look like he eradicated crime in the village of 3000. The Miami New Times reported that former Biscayne Park Police Chief Raimundo uh, Atesiano admitted to framing the team, identified in court records as TD for both burglaries and 22 traffic violations in 2013. Wow, man. Just pinned it. Now, three Biscayne Park officers admitted that a Testiano instructed them to pin crimes on random black people, the Miami Herald reported last month. If they have burglaries that are open cases that are not solved yet, if you see anybody black walking through our streets and they have somewhat of a record, Arrest them so we can pin them for all the burglaries. An officer named Anthony De La Torre said in an internal probe in 2014. They were basically doing this to have a 100% clearance rate for the city. Now TD is suing the former police chief, three officers involved in the false charges and the village of Biscayne Park alleging that the group violated his civil rights and maliciously prosecuted him. You know, this isn't criticism for the victim because I'm sure the victim um, retained representation. But in addition to civil rights, why don't they, and, and I don't know, is constitutional rights also considered civil rights? Now, I know when we talk civil rights, we think of Dr. King, we think of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which outlawed 
uh, racism, um, employment racism, discrimination, gender discrimination, um, um, discrimination against the handicap, or discrimination based on national origin. But so I'm not so sure of civil rights and constitutional rights like First Amendment or Amendments 1 through 10, properly known as the Bill of Rights. Yeah, so it's more than just civil rights violations. It's constitutional rights violations. And as Dr. King and Malcolm X was pushing us towards, we also need to be citing human rights abuses. The United States is a signatory to many different international treaties that they are violating in violation of, uh, um, you know, of, pertaining to the human rights of people in the United States, regardless of their citizenship status. Now, it says, uh, it goes on to say the defendants were part of a conspiracy to satisfy the village that crime was being eliminated, TD's lawyers argued in their federal lawsuit. In the indictment, Atestiano is accused of intentionally setting up TD for four burglaries, burglaries that took place between April and May of 2013. Federal prosecutors claim the ex-chief did so because he wanted to tell the town government that he solved every single burglary in town, which the report noted is basically impossible to achieve. Atestiano Allegedly, no, if he's admitted to it and the other cops admitted to it, why is it allegedly? It's not allegedly, it's a fact raw story. A Testiano instructed two other officers named in the suit to arrest TD in June of 2013 for the unsolved burglaries, knowing that there was no evidence and no lawful basis to support such charges, prosecutors claim. The suit further alleged the officers then gathered evidence to make a case against him and included a false narrative to justify their phony affidavits. Uh, point to the writer, if there is no evidence, then they couldn't gather evidence. What you mean to say is they manufactured evidence to make a case against him. That would be the proper word. All right, so I'm gonna leave it there. Um, it's a couple more paragraphs. Oh, by the way, all of the stories listed um, that I discussed on air tonight are listed in our group Abolitionists in btrcommunity.com, the social media network that was set up and managed by Black Talk Media Project, our North Carolina-based new media organization, which is a nonprofit. All right, I'll leave that story there. Um, let me see what else do we have now I saw this story yesterday as well and Max shared this story and I found it's a very long story so I'm not going to get into it uh, I'm not going to you know I'm only going to read selected portions of it but you can read it in its entirety uh, again you can find the links in btrcommunity.com in the abolitionist group Okay, so it, uh, The Guardian put out this article uh, also on yesterday, and apparently Puerto Rico is about to move 3,200 inmates to Arizona. And 
some are warning that the radical overhaul of Puerto Rico's prison system, which was badly affected by Hurricane Maria, and they've yet the island has yet to recover because it's not like they're really getting uh, any help. You know, it's like another Katrina, you know, non predominantly or even if it's perceived and it's not a fact, but if predominantly non-white people are the victims of, you know, what did uh, Kanye West said? George Bush don't care about black people. Donald Trump don't care about Puerto Ricans. Okay. So anyway, it goes on to say that they're warning that um, it may have dire consequences for inmate civil rights. Let me read a little bit to give you an introduction. But there was an interesting segment in terms of prison labor that I found to be very interesting and make a note to do future research, making a mental note right now, to do future research because Puerto Rico apparently in their constitution as a territory, as a possession, as a colony of the United States of America Incorporated in Washington, D.C., have within their constitution basic rights for prisoners that I had never heard of before. Okay, so I found that to be interesting, so I'm making a mental note to look up Puerto Rico's constitution because when on New Abolitionist Radio we examine all the constitutions of the 50 states, obviously we're only looking at the states. And wasn't even thinking about, hey, some of these colonial possessions of the United States may have their own constitutions and what have you. I, I, you know, never crossed my mind. So anyway, getting into the article. When Maria pounded the concrete walls and rusted iron gates of the Bayamon Correctional Complex last September, inmates here watched in fear through the reinforced windows and metal bars. We went without running water for weeks, without electricity for weeks, says inmate Joseph Villalobos, who sat in the open courtyard of Bayamos, Bayamans, I'm probably pronouncing it incorrectly, a minimum security wing in the heart of the complex's sprawling mass of structures. It was hard, he said. The lack of communication with the outside world kept inmates like Villalobos seven years into a 26-year sentence for what he describes as a felony offense involving kidnap in a state of perpetual anxiety. The shock of last year's Category 5 hurricane was just a precursor to the radical overhaul of Puerto Rico's overburdened prison system that some warn may have dire consequences for the civil rights of inmates. Six months after the hurricane hit, the island's unelected Federal Financial Oversight Board colloquially, colloquially named La Junta approved a suite of authority, austerity measures ranging from workplace benefit cuts to slashing the education budget in an ostensible bid to rid the Commonwealth of its multi-billion dollar debt crisis. The plan led to widespread protests and civil unrest in the island's capital. Now, nestled away in the 200-page document was a policy to offshore around a third of Puerto Rico's prison population, 3,200 inmates, to private facilities 
thousands of miles away within the United States. The board claimed the policy will help to save close to $400 million over four years. The government insists it will be voluntary, but advocates describe it as a disaster waiting to happen. This government-sponsored human trafficking, you are basically transferring people basically against their will, says William Ramirez, executive director of the Puerto Rico American Civil Liberties Union. Even if you say it's consensual, the reality is that you can't provide consent freely if you're a ward of the state because you're not free. And secondly, you are not given the information you need to actually give consent. And finally, it's all being done for profit. Now, I'm going to stop right there, and then I'm going to jump ahead, but I have some commentary. Again, if you have any questions, comments, you can give us a call, 704-802-5056. Hit star star on uh, your keypad, and that will alert me and let me know, and I will get your comments on air. Now, a couple of things that came to my mind just reading that last quote from um, William Ramirez. Slaves cannot give consent to anything, to nothing. When I, you know, I was think I was talking to Max about this. We were talking about prison rapes by guards and female guards as well. And people trying to defend the female saying, hey, that male consensually engaged in sex. I'm like, wait a minute. That was a slave, and a slave cannot consent to sex just like Sally Hemings, a enslaved child, could not give consent to Thomas Jefferson to have sex. It was rape. So that's what I thought about. You're telling you you're saying, oh, we're only doing this for those, we're only gonna do this to those prisoners who volunteer. I can't imagine a Puerto Rican prison slave whose family is on that island would consent to be moved thousands away from their family, which may include their parents, a spouse, a significant other and their children. I agree with Mr. Ramirez. This is the human trafficking portion of what we say here on New Abolitionist Radio when we talk about we're focusing on legalized slavery and human trafficking. This is human trafficking. Prisoners from Hawaii are sent off that island and sent and housed mostly in California or Arizona as well, in private prisons, okay? This is human trafficking. And I don't believe for a minute that this is going to save any money. If it saves any money, it's going to be at the expense of the prisoners because GO Group, Core Civic, and, and a whole host of other private prison companies have been sued over the years. It has been documented of the human rights abuses, of them skimping on health care, on them skimping on food and nutrition, and a whole host of other things. You know, that's why we have read stories about 
females and uh, prison slaves being, you know, coerced into having sex in exchange for some tampons by guards and what have you. Now, let me, let me jump ahead because it talks about this person who is paid for his work. Now, yeah, it's the very next paragraph, and I'm going to leave it here, and y'all can read the rest of it. Villa Lobos grimace when asked about the program. Having spent four years in mass maximum security on daily 22-hour lockdowns, he recently graduated to the facility's woodwork program, where his hand-carved biblical figures are sold by the prison, who hand him back 75% of the profits. He uses the proceeds to provide for his mother and his four children who visit him here once a week. He's worried that he will be ripped away from both his family and the progress he had made inside and expressed skepticism that the transfer policy would remain voluntary. Again, he's making the point I just made. Who in their right mind will want to be sent thousands of miles away from their family, from their support system on the outside. And there have been studies that have, sh that have shown that contact with family members and, and, and friends through visitations and what have you is a very important part to rehabilitation and their mental sanity. Now, what shocked me, though, it didn't shock me that the prison was selling stuff that he made, you know, hand-carved biblical figures. It didn't shock me that the prisons were selling the stuff. Federal and state prisons do that. It's slavery, okay? But what shocked me was is that they gave him 75% of the profits. That's why I want to look up the Puerto Rican Constitution and see what it says about the rights of prisoners in their prisons there. But that shocked me. I like 75%. They gave, so if he sold it for a dollar, if the prison sold this biblical figure for a dollar, then he got 75% and the prison got 25%. Got 25 cents, which I think would probably, you know, cover the materials used to make these figures or whatnot. So that right there is a perfect example of why prisoners should be paid. Because he's talking about he was providing for his mother and his four children. Plenty of these prisons, especially with women being the fastest growing demographic of prison slaves who have children or even if we, we don't even have to make it gender specific or men who have children. They should be paid the federal minimum wage in the very least so that they can continue to provide for their families. It's not fair. What's happening is it's the family who is being extorted for money by these unscrupulous, unethical Companies who, like Max has talked about before, they want to, in order to stay in contact with your 
family member they done shipped off hundreds if not thousands of miles away hey we'll let you Skype them for $17 a minute or something like that for 10 minutes $17 or or the exorbitant rates that they charge them for phone calls and, and, and commissary and all of that you know family members having to send the prisoners money so they can get food that they buy cause the prison food is crap so they buy from vendors. So it's all a racket. So instead of the pressure being put on families, especially poor families, to provide for the prisoners, the prisoners should be given the opportunity to work and receive pay, fair pay for equal amount of work that somebody would do on the outside. You can even take taxes out on it. But most importantly, then they will be able to provide for themselves and in some cases, as in this man's case, provide for his family on the outside. That that right there is, is the poster child for why prison slaves should get paid. Because number one, slavery needs to be abolished in all its forms. There should be... You can't call yourself a civilized society and you still practicing slavery. You can't call yourself a beacon of freedom and justice and still practicing slavery. You can't call yourself a shining city on the hill, a motto of democracy, and still practicing slavery. It just does not compute. So, anyway, if y'all want to read the rest of this, um, this article is very interesting. Information is a very long uh, article. Um, it even gave some information about a stinging independent review by the Obama administration's Justice Department. Now, I'm critical of the Obama administration where I need to be critical. I'm critical of it, anyone where I need to be critical. But at the same time, when they do something that is constructive. I also need to acknowledge that they did something constructive. And although I felt like it was too little too late, if he'd have done this during his first term or early in his second term, we wouldn't even be talking about private prisons today. They'd be out of business. But in 2016, uh, the article states, a stinging independent review by the Obama administration's Justice Department found that private prisons used by the federal government were drastically more unsafe and more punitive than those operated by government, identifying poorer medical care and overuse of solitary confinement as two key markers. The report prompted the president to order the end of federal government's use of private prisons, a decision that was almost immediately reversed by the Trump administration. Again, this is why I say, if he'd have done this at the, at the beginning of his term, 2012, or done it in 2013, or did it in 2014, or even 2015. Not waiting till you got months left, and then you're going to commission this report, and then issue this policy, talking about we're not going to use private prisons, even though the very in the next couple of weeks you signed a new private prison contract with um, GO Group. So, nah. 
But the information is there. It was produced by the government and it's, it's useful information for us who are against these horrible conditions inside of the prison plantations being run by private slavers. All right. So anyway, I'll leave it there. Let me see. We're coming up on our first station identification break again. Um, keep maxing your prayers as he is dealing with um, a health problem he's had for quite some time and he's resting at home with his family right now so I'm holding down the fort uh, by myself but keep 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 our abolitionist comrade in your prayers for those that do pray because I understand everybody doesn't pray <sighs> let me get on alright so I'm going to take a station identification break and take a short music break and then come back and jump into some of the main stories that really, really caught my eye, which will be the private prison protests that are going on, the ridiculous threat issued by the GEO group against Florida activists threatening to sue them if they didn't stop with these protests and, and saying that, oh, they're lying on us, they're disseminating incorrect information and making people hate us and want to do violence towards us and, and all of that. You know, <laughs> I'm surprised they ain't sued us uh, here uh, or tried to sue us because for since 2000 and when did we create New Abolitionist Radio? 2013? Man, we have been uh, um, spying on their annual quarterly conference calls, recording them. Not, and they actually put out the recordings themselves publicly, but nobody was publishing them. And, and so we will publish them on our YouTube channel and whatnot. So we have really been, been shining the light on private prisons for six years in our seventh year now. And I'm surprised they ain't tried to sue us. So anyway, we'll talk about that and more when we come back on the other side of this break. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, which is managed by the North Carolina nonprofit Black Talk Media Project. Make a donation today. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. thing but that power can be used for or against I love hip-hop I said I love hip-hop 
So for the love of hip hop, let me share something with you. Listen. I got a secret, everybody come and listen. Took the money out of schools and they got rich building prisons. Trick the people in the crime. With rap verses and rhyme. Made it cooler go to jail than gave niggas time. Well, brainwash the people with a marketing plan. Big brother all around me like he's stalking me, man. With his slogans and his phrases, keeps the masses in their places to accept for extermination like Logan through the mazes. It's in the book of ages, but we never read the pages till Hitler rises up to exterminate the races. Where were all the Christians when we started dropping bombs? Where was Luke, Matthew, Mark and John, they say pray to Christ, but act nothing like him. As they lead the sheep to slaughter, we get crucified just like them. Scripture says the meek shall inherit the earth. But after global warming, tell me what that shit worth. Not the price of dirt, he got me for my shirt. The emperor has no clothes and kindly dropped the skirt. She can get it in the rear, we should have known that it was near. Osama's just a tool they used to promote their brand of fear. Extra, extra, read all about it. This the daily news with the streets post crowded. Some say I get in too deep when I speak about it. You reap what you sow, I doubt it. And these New York Times listening to the village voice. Dealers and gangbangers killing. A killer's choice, I build the stand. The man I am true. Read about me in the Amsterdam news. And this white man's world. I got a secret, everybody come and listen. They took the money out of schools and they got rich building prisons. Atlanta children missing. One man set for lynching. The murder still continued, but no one can to list them. What's the price of black when white is valued higher? Who's the last to get the job? First to get the fire, no one gets to blame. Truth is just the truth. Most don't have a future, cause most don't know their roots. But they know flavor hoops, and they think that shit is cute. Like Beyonce in a G string and Jay Z in a suit. The Pop Piper with a flute, mommy getting zooped. The children's in the street, and the dealer's about to shoot. The cycle goes around like the cycle going round. Snatching up our babies like the fruit from off the ground. Who tends the garden? Who watches over sheep? The priest is here to raise our souls. I tell confessions to a beast, they say God is like the thief. Who Comes in the darkest night to quickly snatch a peep And find my brother's keeper, who's my sister's keep? Some nigga named Sugar Bear with diamonds in his teeth Extra, extra, read all about it This the daily news for the streets post crowded Some say I get in too deep when I speak about it You reap what you sow, I doubt it And these New York Times listening to the village voice Dealers and gangbangers killing, a killer's choice I build the stand, the man I am true Read about me in the Amsterdam news And this white man's I try to do the right thing in my life like Mookie But I'm still a public enemy so they set me up like Tukey We should all stand tall like Jamal in the pen So I call for the fall of Babylon with the pen You see everything on time like a man they've been Why they call me black if that's not the color of my skin And why they call you white if we all born in sin That sound like the gin out to tent men The devil wears a suit but I can see it in his grin If Jesus is the word and the word is on the cross And the cross is in the club while so many people lost Two towers down Everybody like Moss, all patriotic, but what's the final cost? What's the final cost? What's the final cost? Extra, extra, read all about it. This the daily news for the streets post crowded. Some say I get in too deep when I speak about it. You reap what you sow, I doubt it. And these New York Times listening to the village voice. Dealers and gangbangers killing. A killer's choice, I build the stand. The man I am true. Read about me in the Amsterdam news. In this white man's world. And you are tuned in to New Abolitionist Radio right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA, Inc. I'm holding down the fort all by my lonesome. My brother Max is recuperating right now. So shout out to him and his family who may be listening. Get well, brother. All right. 
A um, couple more real quick briefs, um, stories that Max shared, and then I'll get into the uh, stories that I posted that I thought were uh, pretty important. Not to say, well, all the stories are important because they're dealing with slavery. All right, so anyway, Max uh, highlighted some slave catchers uh, misbehaving, and we got a former Lemoore police chief who was sentenced to life in prison for child sex crimes. I'll just read a quick excerpt from KFYRTV.com. The former Lemoore police chief was sentenced on Tuesday to life in prison with the possibility of parole for continuous sexual abuse of a child. James Watson was charged with continuous sexual abuse of a child in both Golden Valley and Stark counties, as well as gross sexual imposition in Hedinger County during the summer of 2017. This is a police chief, you know, he's former police chief now, chief of the slave catchers and what have you, just like the story we shared about the uh, homeless teen filing a lawsuit against that police chief and his deputy slave catchers for setting him up uh, for burglaries that he didn't commit. Um, another slave catcher in profile, police chief overdoses on drugs stolen from the evidence room. Uh, this is coming to you from the nypost.com. Police chief of tiny Ohio village fatally overdosed on drugs he stole from his department's evidence room authorities believe investigators found packages of fentanyl heroin and lsd in the home of kikersville police chief james huges jr after he was found not breathing in a bathroom tell you anyway let me move on there are a couple of protests. I'm not sure if they're they're still happening today, but they have been happening over the past couple of days. Um, protests at the headquarters of Core Civic, formerly known as Correction Corporation of America. Um, but protesters, there's a story I found on Tennessean.com where protesters have been arrested after blocking Core Civic headquarters in Nashville. All right, so let me pull up that article again. This is on the Tennessean.com. You can find all these articles posted in the abolitionist group on btrcommunity.com. So it says officers work for hours Monday to unchain protesters. Give me just a second. Uh, to um unchained protesters as they occupied the property of a private prison company's corporate headquarters shutting down Nashville based Core Civic's office building for the day. As of Monday afternoon, the Metro Nashville Police Department had arrested at least 19 of the few dozen protesters on trespassing charges, some of whom had locked themselves to cement-filled barrels to block parking garage entrances to the office. Offices. We have no intention of leaving, said Reverend Janine Alexander from No Exceptions Prison Collective. It's a nonviolent, peaceful resistance. Alexander said protesters do not recognize this as private property, claiming the protesters by their actions had appropriated the grounds for the people of Tennessee. 
Alexander was later arrested and carried away, being loaded into a police van by her hands and feet. One protester, a woman sitting atop a 20-foot tripod fashioned from wooden beams, was brought down by special operations officers after nine and a half hours and the use of the department's mobile ramp truck. Core Civic, formerly known as Corpor uh, Correction Corporation of America, is one of the nation's largest owners and operators of private prisons operating roughly 65 facilities across 19 states, including the Metro Davidson County Detention Facility on Harding Place. The company contacts with Immigration and Custom Enforcement the company con yeah, contracts had or has contracts with, with ICE and runs eight immigration detention centers, but has repeatedly declined to provide current copies of its contracts to operate these facilities. Public record requests with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security are pending. So let me, let me state this again. We have been championing the closing of these private prisons since we've been on air. Again, I believe we came on air in 2013. And we also pushed for legislation to abolish these prisons. Just like people talking about abolish ICE in 2015, there was a push to abolish private prisons. Now, unfortunately, some people in my community say we shouldn't give a damn about, about all of these refugees and whatnot being locked up. And apparently, they must think only refugees are being locked up. Not that it should matter. These are human beings, okay? Not that it should matter. I don't think you should have any kind of conditions on slavery or whether you're going to be an abolitionist and who you're going to advocate for. Slavery is slavery. It's wrong no matter who's doing it and no matter who they're doing it against. It's wrong. But note that they only operate eight immigration detention centers. Now, what? how many facilities do they have? 65 facilities across 19 states. Again, only eight of them are immigration detention centers. So when you hear myself, I'm not going to speak for anybody else, but when you hear myself supporting those protesters out there looking at the separation of these families, these children uh, being detained, I mean, they're even just throwing up makeshift detention facilities and rented space that used to be Walmart facilities and what have you, okay? Putting kids in cages, all this is documented, all right? It's all interconnected, as they say. It's all, it, there's the intersectionality. The skin color of the victim shouldn't matter. The national origin of the victim shouldn't matter. The gender of the victim shouldn't matter. And I say that if those things matter and you don't care about these people being enslaved, why should anybody give a damn if you get enslaved or your family members or your community? See, some of us want empathy 
but we're not empathetic to others. So this private prison issue, yeah, the focus right now is on immigration because of Donald Trump, but these protests were going on during past administrations as well. But again, these private prisons write legislation that they get politicians to pass that locks up more and more people. And it is American citizens, particularly black and brown American citizens, who are the number one groups that are incarcerated in private prisons. Again, CoreCivic only has eight immigration detention facilities, but they operate 65 of them. Think I might have heard somebody on the line that wanted to comment. Uh, yeah, we got Otis on the line. What's going on, my abolitionist comrade? What's on your mind tonight? What's up? What's up, comrade? I just wanted to say well wishes and uh, prayers go out to Maximus. And uh, while you're on the subject, I wanted to make the point that my latest article that I looked at, CoreCivic alone has $471 billion, almost a half, I mean, $471 million, almost a half a billion dollars in public contracts with the federal government. Wow. That doesn't include what GEO Group is doing. I just wanted to make that point when you were talking about the 65 prisons they operate. And most people get an idea when it comes to numbers. $471 billion. I mean, million dollars, almost a half a billion. $471. That shows you the amount of money we're spending to cage humans and most of them for nonviolent crimes. That's a big number, man. And it's a billion dollar a year industry, as you pointed out. That's just that one company's contract. That's not including MTC. That's not including uh, the GEO Group, which we're going to talk about them next. Um, there are a whole host of other private prison companies. I mean, when we used to call in to the GEO Group's earnings calls, quarterly earnings calls, something we might need to get back to doing. It'd be interesting to hear them brag about how much money they're making under Trump. But you had mom and pop jails people calling in that are not only invested in the jail group but running their own little private jails and that was all revealed on that call as they shouted out the names of the people that because they weren't just taking calls from the people on the conference line because we did request you know like how we do on our conference line hit star star if you want to ask a question or comment they ignored ours because probably because they didn't recognize us as being one of their investors or, or what have you. So they were like, oh, we're not just going to take calls from, from the public or whatnot. So, uh, yeah, lots of stuff was revealed to us by listening in on those earnings calls. All right. Hey, yeah. Scotty, the other thing I was going to say when you brought up black, black and brown people, in August of 2016, the vice president for contract compliance, Patricia McNair Presante, wrote that the GEO prisons reviewed in a report differ in the type of population to the federal operated prisons. She said GEO prisons house more criminal aliens, with 72.1% of them being from Mexico and the rest from a few other Central American countries. That was before this influx of migrants from that we see now. That was in 2016. 
two years later, we can estimate that as far above 72% now. And you say this was a government official? Yes, this is this is the, the now, lady who is in charge of compliance. Now, the 2016 article. Now, being that she's a government official, I don't believe a word that she's saying because if indeed they were all criminals and what have you had committed crimes, then then they should be prosecuted. Okay, and most of the time they just hold them and then deport them without ever even charging them or giving them a trial or what yes, have you. you make a valid point because we know that the bulk of the ones, especially over the last two years, have actually been applying for refugee status and being circumvented by the current administration. So you can't be a, a criminal if you're applying for refugee status. Right, right, right. So, yeah, people toss around that criminal label and, and you know, um, Coming across the border undocumented isn't a criminal offense. It's a civil infraction. You know, I interviewed and I want to contact her, Angela Chan, who is an attorney who works with uh, immigrants who had penned an article uh, pointing out the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery and that the detention that we see of these refugees who, who, who are seeking political asylum are being illegally enslaved because it's outside of the confines of the 13th Amendment, which said those duly convicted. Most of these refugees haven't been convicted of crimes. Hey, Scotty, I wanted to throw in one other thing that you covered at the beginning of the show, for show and then I'm not sure. going to put in anymore. Uh, you made the, the announcement that the NCAA had said that they could get away without paying those athletes because slavery is legal. But you know the actual precursor to that is slavery is only legal once you're duly convicted. I'd like to know what crime those athletes committed. They didn't commit a crime. That's what I'm saying. But that's that's how the NCAA responded in their lawsuit. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. But I and I want to know that brief should have been thrown out on what they call prima facie because what crime did an athlete commit by committing to play at a college? That is ludicrous. Right. I'm going to have to um, do some follow-up on the status of that lawsuit because um, if I'm not mistaken, that lawsuit was filed earlier this year is when Sean King reported on it because that's who I got the information from. Um, about how the NCAA replied to that. So definitely we got to do some follow-up. But you're right, Otis. You know, why are you citing the 13th Amendment? These aren't people who have been convicted in a court, you know, whether we're talking about duly convicted or wrongfully convicted. So, yeah, it should have been thrown out. They should have just awarded, you know, the uh, person who filed the lawsuit damages right then and there, which he was suing on behalf of all college students. All right, so let me see if there's anything else in this Tennessean article. I think that's pretty much it. No, there's more. Okay, there's more. Uh, Core civic response. Okay, because in this other article, is going to, um, Geo Group is responding to, uh, or it's actually threatening protesters, but Core Civic response. In a statement, Core Civic said activists are distorting the private prison operator's role in immigration detention. 
Core Civic play, plays a valued but limited role in America's immigration system, which we have done for every administration, Democrat and Republican, for more than 30 years, said company spokeswoman Amanda Gilchrist in an email Monday morning. While we know this is a highly charged emotional issue for many people, much of the information about our company being shared by special interest groups is wrong and politically motivated, resulting in some people reaching misguided conclusions about what we do. See this they must been they must uh been talking with the people over the G with Geo group. Cause they're making the same allegations as the Geo group. That activists such as myself Journalists such as myself, radio hosts such as myself, have been lying on them all these years, even though our information is coming directly from news organizations, documents, records, and in lawsuits. Nobody's distorting nothing. So this is just a propaganda game they playing. Earlier this year, Core Civic released a statement saying the company does not house children who are separated from a parent. Okay, um, there's showing a bunch of tweets from this person. Um, it goes on to say, excuse me. Alex Dixon, a former Core Civic correctional officer. Oh yeah, I forgot from people on the inside, not just prisoners, but people who have worked there. Okay, a former Corps Civic Correctional Officer who worked at the state's largest private prison, Truesdale Turner Correctional Center, until she quit about eight months ago, was among the protesters arrested. I quit because I witnessed two people die due to medical neglect, she said. Two of the dozens of tombstone signs protesters put up bore the names of those two inmates, Jonathan Salata and Jeff Mim. Dixon made similar allegations in late 2017 during a legislative hearing. Core Civic said it investigated her statements and were not able to find sufficient evidence to substantiate several of her claims. Yeah, you investigated yourself and you found nothing wrong with yourself. What a surprise. All right. Um, so I'm going to stop it there. I'll read this one last paragraph. Tennessee pays the company. This is the state of Tennessee. This isn't the federal contracts that they have. Ten, because again, the majority of their prisons are not housing immigrants. They're housing American citizens. Tennessee pays the company hundreds of millions of dollars to operate four state prisons and several county detention facilities. State lawmakers have criticized the company for its operations in the past, while state prison officials have vowed closer scrutiny of private prison operations. Sound like lip service to me. That's what it sounds like. As the protests continue, several core civic employees waited by their cars in a parking lot across the street from the entrance. Gilchrist said later Monday that employees who work in the building had been advised not to report the work there until the standoff was resolved, but that core civic employees continue with normal operations. Um, did it say worldwide? Company-wide. Company-wide. I'm going to leave it there because I have another very related story. I, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to play this clip of Bernie Sanders introducing Justice is Not for Sale Act 
which died, never got to Obama's desk, and it certainly wouldn't be signed into law by Trump. But that's not to say we shouldn't continue to push for similar legislation. And then once I let you hear this, okay, because this is something we advocated for, uh, Max even personally, uh, when Bernie Sanders visited South Carolina during the campaign, got to talk, not to Bernie Sanders himself, but to some of, you know, his top people, his staff there, and presented these issues. So we've been lobbying for this a very, very long time. Unfortunately, um, it didn't get passed. But, hey, the fight continues. That don't mean we give up. And then once I play that, I'll play um, a short clip from democracy now where they're talking to one of the protesters who is protesting the facilities at the geo uh, um, geo group facilities in Florida and then once I play that then I'll get into the ridiculous threats that the geo group is making hence my title one of these private prison companies is acting like they shook like they shook they shaking man they feeling the heat they worried and, and I say they should be worried. And whether they're exaggerating or not, trying to say that, hey, you're causing violence towards us. We ain't told nobody to kill you. We ain't told nobody to, to commit acts of violence against you. But guess what? If they do, I wouldn't shed a damn tear for no damn slaver. Okay? I'm just going to keep it real. So, let me take the, la the uh, last station identification break. And then I'll play those videos for you and then get to that article. Again, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back after this station identification break. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. Black Talk Radio, since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. I think there is very little doubt that our criminal justice system is broken and in need of major reforms. I would hope that every American appreciates that it is a national tragedy that the United States of America today has more people in jail, over two million people, than any other country on earth, including China, a communist authoritarian country with a population four times what we are. It is also important to note that a disproportionate number, significantly, disproportionate of those who are in jail are black and Hispanic. We have got to do everything that we can as a nation to end that reality of locking up so many people, and we have got to do it as rapidly as possible. The number of people who have been incarcerated in our country has quadrupled from about 500,000 in 1980 to over 2 million today. That is unacceptable. It makes no sense to me 
that the United States of America has more jails and prisons than colleges and universities. As a nation, our goal must be to do everything we can to create the conditions that prevent mass incarceration. Latest study that I have seen shows that 69% of African American males who drop out of high school end up in jail. What a tragedy. And at a time when we are spending $80 billion a year on our correctional system, it makes a lot more sense to me to be investing in jobs and education rather than jails and incarceration. It makes more sense to me to be investing in our children, making sure they stay in school, making sure they get the mentoring that they need, rather than simply locking them up. In my view, we need bold changes in our criminal justice system. As a first step, we need to start treating prisoners like human beings, private companies, private corporations should not be profit, profiteering from their incarceration. Our emphasis must be on rehabilitation, not incarceration, and longer prison sentences. In that regard, the basic decisions regarding criminal justice and public safety must be the responsibility of the citizens of our country and not the investors in private corporations. In my view, corporations should not be allowed to make a profit by building more jails and keeping more Americans behind bars. We have got to end the private profit system in jails that are so dangerous to our country. It is unacceptable that companies like Corrections Corporation of America and the GEO Group are spending tens of millions of dollars lobbying members of Congress and state legislatures all over this country to keep more Americans behind bars for longer and longer sentences. That has got to end. The profit motivation of private companies running prisons works at cross purposes with the goals of criminal justice. Further, study after study has shown that private prisons are not less expensive, they are not safer, and they do not provide better outcomes for either the prisoners or the state. Criminal justice and public safety are, without a doubt, the responsibility of the citizens of our country, not private corporations. They should be carried out by those who answer to voters, not those who answer to investors. The bill we are introducing today, the Justice Is Not For Sale Act, eliminates federal, state, and local contracts for privately run prisons within two years. But while we must end the private for-profit prison racket, we must also address the harder question of responsibility reducing the prison pop of a responsibly reducing the prison population. And that is why this bill will also reinstate the federal parole system. And by doing this, we will provide a real incentive for prisoners to engage in good behavior and get out of prison sooner. So bottom line here is we need major reforms in our criminal justice system, making sure that corporations are not profiteering from the incarceration of fellow Americans is an important step forward. All right, so that was uh, Bernie Sanders introducing the Justice Is Not For Sale Act, which died, it died in Congress, and never even made it to President Obama's desk. And I would like to think that he would have signed it 
considering, you know, his late actions in 2016 and saying that, uh, making an executive decision that, you know, we're, the federal government is no longer going to contract uh, with private prisons. But they need to be abolished. People talking about abolishing ICE. What about abolishing these private prisons? Let's make that part of the conversation again. Okay? Again. Now, this next clip that you're going to listen to is from Democracy Now! And it pertains to the protest against the GEO Group. In the earlier story, before the station identification break, I was talking about Core Civic, formerly known as Correction Corporations of America, which is headquartered in Tennessee. GEO Group is headquartered in Boca Raton, Florida, and they've been experiencing protests as well. So let me, uh, where is the clip? Uh, where is that clip? Where is the clip? Where is the clip? Where is the clip? Um, it's from, okay, here it is. Democracy Now! is interviewing one of the protesters about their protests against Geo Group. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. The for-profit prison company Geo Group has threatened to sue the human rights group, the Dream Defenders, which is planning a national day of action today to protest the private prison company. Geo Group is Immigration and Customs Enforcement's single biggest contractor. Uh, receiving hundreds of millions of dollars from ICE to run private immigrant prisons around the country. The Dream Defenders are planning to disrupt GEO Group operations in cities across the United States, including Florida, Arizona, California, and New York. For more, we're joined by Dream Defenders co-director Rachel Gilmer. The organization recently served a cease and desist letter by attorneys representing the GEO Group. Rachel, welcome to... I'm pausing it right there because she's actually talking about the other story that I was going to share. And um, so they're going to cover some of that in here. Man, it's just ridiculous. So here, here we go. To Democracy Now! Can you talk about your action today and then the response of Geo Group, the prison company? Great. So we've been working with organizations across the country, including Puente in Arizona, um, Democratic Socialists of America, United We Dream, to organize a national day against Geo Group, the, uh, one of the country's largest for-profit prison industries. So people may have seen pictures of, of children locked behind cages, of young people wrapped in um, blankets on a, on a floor, of families being separated. People should know that there are major corporations like the Geo Group who are the ones that are actually profiting off of this system. They've also been profiting off of separating black fam families um, due to mass incarcerations for generations. And so we wanted to bring together a diverse coalition because we see Geo Group as a very common target. The same people that are locking up black people in America's prisons are the same people responsible for making money off of deporting immigrants and this immigration crisis with Trump's um, tough on immigration laws. And so we've organized a National Day of Action where we're targeting Geo prisons, we're targeting Geo detention facilities and we're targeting elected officials offices who are actually taking money from the very people who profit off of these systems and then going and making policies that 
um, lead to building more prisons, that lead to tough on, um, tough on immigration crimes. And part of what we're trying to say today is that, you know, we've seen lots of politicians who have gone and visited detention centers. We've seen lots of politicians who have spoken out against Trump's racist vitriol. And part of what we're saying is it's not enough to, to say all of that and then to turn around and take money from the very people profiting off of it. So this action is about drawing a very clear line in the sand and saying that, you know, we need an end to the privatization of our, of our immigrant detention and uh, deportation industry, and we need an end to private prisons, and politicians really need to choose a side. Mm -hmm. And explain what the cease and desist letter you were served with, that Dream Defenders was served with, and explain what the group Dream Defenders is. Um, so Dream Defenders is a human rights youth organization um, based in Florida. Um, the same, uh, you know, we're just down the street, actually, from where GEO is headquartered. And over the last few months, I mean, really since our founding, we were founded seven years ago, um, we've been doing work against GEO Group and against mass incarceration and against immigrant detention. Um, and coming into the election cycle, we knew that we really wanted to make uh, the fact that, you know, Florida is really ground zero for politicians being in bed with the private prison industry. And so going into this election cycle, we knew we really wanted to draw a hard line in the sand on that. And so we created a pledge called the Freedom Pledge that said politicians should not take any more money from GEO Group, that any money that they've previously taken, they should give back to the community by donating to organizations that actually keep us safe, like public schools and community-based organizations, and that once in office, they should fight for an agenda that takes away money from police and prisons and actually puts it into food stamps, puts it into health care, puts it into education and everyday things that keep us safe. Um, we've been building a lot of momentum against GEO Group over the last few months. We got all of the Democratic uh, gubernatorial candidates to say that they wouldn't take money from GEO Group. We got the Democratic State Party to say that they wouldn't take money from GEO Group and its lobbyists anymore. And that's a really, really, really big deal because, again, Florida um, Republicans and Democrats take more money from GEO Group than almost any set of politicians across the country. Um, politicians like Lauren Book, who's, you know, a Democratic senator in line to potentially be Senate president. Her dad is a lobbyist with GEO Group, and she took tens of thousands of dollars from GEO Group in an uncontested race for Senate. Politicians like Rick Scott, Trump, they also take money from Rick GEO Scott, Group. The governor and so we've really been working to Yes, the governor of Florida is taking close to a million dollars. So we've been really working to build a movement against all of this. After the Florida Democratic Party passed a resolution saying they wouldn't take any more money from GEO, the California Democratic Party passed a similar resolution, but they took it one step further and said the millions of dollars that they've previously taken, they're going to donate it to immigrant rights groups. Then about a month later, um, the New York State said that they would divest their pensions from GEO Group. So GEO is very, very scared of this movement that's growing. And on Friday, as a result, Dream Defenders received a cease and desist letter from GEO Group that basically said that we were making false allegations against them, that actually the state is responsible for the caging of, of children, for the separation of families, for the jailing of, of black communities, and that GEO Group is merely following orders. Um, you know. The Nazis said the same thing during the Nuremberg trials, that they weren't the ones ultimately responsible for the slaughter of millions of Jews, that they were just simply following orders. And Geo's cease and desist letter basically said the same thing. Okay, so I'm going to leave it there. As I stated earlier, 
New Abolitionist Radio, we're in our seventh uh, year as well. So it sounds like they were founded around the same time we founded this radio program and our group on Facebook moved to abolish 21st century slavery. And within that group, within our group on btrcommunity.com, we post the links to all of these stories. Years and years we've been doing this and documenting this. This is story coming from main stories coming from mainstream news organizations, from um, the alternative media. This is coming from lawsuits, documents, former employees, all of that, all of that. So yeah, they scared. Yeah, they are scared, and they shook. They shook. And I'm so glad because it lets me know that the abolitionist movement is growing stronger in its influence in American politics. And so we got a lot to work work to do. But we see by their response, by their putting out false fake news, as Trump would say, about, hey, these activists are just lying on us. And and in the other article, which I don't have time to pull up because I got a couple of uh, regular segments to get to and another article I wanted to share. But, you know, we just got to keep pushing. We got to keep pushing. We are, we are standing on the moral ground on this issue and these issues are interconnected. And I was so happy to hear her mention that this is a broad coalition. This ain't about me caring about some other group because they come from another country or they don't have my hair texture or my skin color or whatever. This is this is a broad coalition, natural allies against slavery and I look at anybody trying to tell me I shouldn't give a damn about these refugees that I'm looking at you as an infiltrator I'm looking at you as a person who who just simply don't understand the issue don't understand how the system works and I would say you're morally bankrupt as well anyway let me continue. I do have a couple of segments I need to get to, but I want to share this article that came from a very unlikely source. But our abolitionist in profile tonight will be the Underground Railroad. I have a little four-minute video I want to play. That's our abolitionist in profile, the entire Underground Railroad. And um, our writer of the Underground Railroad is Marcel Brown, who was wrongfully convicted in... Chicago, all right, or in the state of Illinois. But as I was searching for a wrongful convicted person to highlight for the 21st Century Underground Railroad, I came across this article that was published today. And when I said, wait a minute, Michelle Malcolm? Michelle Malcolm is writing about wrongful convictions? I couldn't believe it. And I, I, when I mentioned this to Max before I came on air as I spoke with him on the phone, I said, you wouldn't guess in a million years who just wrote an article titled Oklahoma's Wretch Record on Wrongful Convictions. He couldn't guess. He couldn't guess because I told him he wouldn't be able to. And I told him it was Michelle Malcolm. She, she, I don't know if she still does or not, 
but she would uh, sub for Bill O'Reilly when he was still on air. She was she's an Asian woman and um, um, a very staunch conservative. But as much as conservatives talk about liberty and justice and freedom and all of those buzzwords and whatnot, and recently, you know, people been talking about the Republican Party was founded as an abolitionist party. Well, they've strayed far from their roots. And if any party should be against slavery, you would think it would be the Republican Party. But they are much like the Democratic Party in their support a pride, uh, excuse me, in their support of modern day slavery and human trafficking. But I, I actually, you know, tweeted at Michelle and thanked her for this article. I told her, you know, I was surprised to find this article from you, but I thank you for it because it's in depth and it's very insightful. So let me read portions of this article. And it's published on her own website, Michelle Malkin. Dot com. Michelle, you spell it Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. Malcolm is M-A-L-K-I-N. Okay, so she said she published this just today. Frontier justice costs too many citizens of all races, creeds, and backgrounds their freedom in their lives. In the old days of the Wild West, vigilantes worked outside the judicial system to punish rivals regardless of their guilt or innocence. Today, outlaws operate, operate inside the bureaucracy to secure criminal convictions at all costs. See, because they don't have to rightfully convict you. They just have to go through the motions, which means duly convicted. Oklahoma, the notorious home of hang em high executions, stands out for its decades of trampling due process subverting public disclosure, perpetrating forensic junk science, manufacturing false accusations, and enabling official misconduct. Since 1993, 35 wrongfully convicted Oklahomans have been officially exonerated according to the National Registry of Exonerations. 15 inmates have been freed in the past decade. Almost half of the state's exonerees have been convicted of murder, 17% for sexual assault. The reign of prosecutorial terror and forensic error by the late Oklahoma County District Attorney Bob Macy and rogue Oklahoma City Police Department crime lab analyst Joyce Gilchrist resulted in at least 11 wrongful convictions according to the Innocence Projects. Those victims included exoneree Curtis McCarty, who was sent to death row for stabbing and strangulation murder after Macy withheld evidence and Gilchrist falsified blood evidence and destroyed hair evidence. Exoneree Robert Lee Miller Jr., another death row inmate falsely convicted of two rapes and two murders based on a coerced confession and atrocious forensic misconduct involving junk analysis of semen, blood, saliva, human hair, and dog hair. Exoneree Jeffrey Pierce, who was falsely convicted of rape in 1986 based on Gilchrist misconduct and won a $4 million settlement from Oklahoma City. Exoneree David Bryson, who was wrongfully convicted of kidnapping and rape and freed after 18 years in prison when Gilchrist's destruction of evidence was discovered and follow-up DNA testing excluded him as the attacker. I'll read this and, and leave it there because it's a pretty long and depth 
article. Please check it out. Again, from a very unlikely source, I would have never thought that Michelle Malcolm would write about wrongful convictions, so I was wrong. I was wrong. Doesn't mean I agree with her, her other politics and what have you, but I'm seeing eye to eye with her on this. Law enforcement and legal insiders alike have shared stories with me about good old boys club corruption that crosses party lines in a sooner state. Government prosecutors and criminal defense attorneys routinely cut deals. Judges bend over backwards to preserve harmless quote-unquote errors caused by flawed investigations, faulty verdicts, and clerical incompetence. Police brass retaliate against whistleblowers. And according to one veteran cop, Oklahoma City is a hopeless nest of incestuous nepotism. I'll leave it there. Okay. She wrote a whole lot and it's worth reading. I did read the article in its entirety earlier. She also mentions David Holesclaw, uh, Daniel Holesclaw. Remember, he was the Oklahoma cop that was raping all those black women and what have you. So, a welcome surprise from Michelle Malcolm. Again, you know, I, I wouldn't call her an abolitionist, but I did tweet to her and she liked the tweet, so she must have read the tweet and made her aware that there is a new abolition, a modern abolitionist movement against prison slavery via the 13th Amendment. And I thanked her for her in-depth and insightful article. So hopefully... Maybe she's listening. I don't know. But hopefully we can convert her to become a modern-day abolitionist. Thank you again, Michelle. All right, so let me leave that there. I got to get through. We got Mind, Body, and Spirit radio coming up at the top of the hour. So I need to get through these last segments uh, quickly. So let me jump on. We'll take first the wrongful conviction. Um a Marcel Brown. We could have used those other ones as our our profiles and wrongful convictions and writers of the 21st century underground railroad. But you know, I'd go. I went ahead and chose this person. In um, you center a wrongful conviction helps exonerate client Marcel Brown after spending 10 years in prison. Chicago native Marcel Brown walked out of prison on July 18 after the state of Illinois dropped his murder charges due to help from the Pritzker School of Law of Law Center on wrongful convictions. Brown was officially released after the state dismissed his previous murder charges, said Karen Daniel, director of the Center on Wrongful Convictions. Brown was arrested in 2008 in connection with the murder of Paris Jackson after witnesses identified his car at the incident. Brown was 18 years old at the time and was charged with murder even though it was later determined that Brown did not fire the gun that killed Jackson. Brown, now 28, said Daniels calls, visits, and dedication to his case confirmed her faith in him. She listened to him and updated him on the process throughout his case, he said. It's a good feeling because most people don't help you out, Brown said. They just take your money and don't really want to hear what you got to say or when you ask them to fight a certain way they go another way with Karen it was like that but I was informed I trust her with my life uh, Daniel said Brown's appellate attorney referred the case to the center after he was unsuccessful in appeals court. She said the attorney reached out to the center to see if they could file a post-conviction petition and grant his case another trial which occurs when new evidence is introduced into a case 
All right, so it 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 is a whole lot more to this. And again, you can read these articles. They're posted in the abolitionist group on btrcommunity.com. Uh, so we want to welcome Marcel Brown to Freedom. All right, last segment. I have a four-minute video that I want to play for you, which is highlighting our abolitionists in profile. Tonight, I am profiling the Underground Railroad in its entirety. Americans, both black and white, began organizing and speaking out against slavery. The people who wanted to get rid of or abolish slavery were called abolitionists. It is believed that the Underground Railroad began in 1781. That's when abolitionists began to organize a system for hiding and aiding runaway enslaved people. By 1850, there were 3,000 workers on the Underground Railroad helping escaped enslaved people on their treacherous journey to the free states in the North and Canada. The Underground Railroad was a series of homes, barns, and churches called stations. Stations were the places runaways could hide. People who ran the stations were called station masters. Some people were called conductors. Conductors were people who supplied the passengers, or enslaved people, with maps and other things they would need for their journey north. Typically, stations were about 20 miles apart. Some conductors hid passengers in wagons or carts with false bottoms to travel from one station to another. Runaways usually hid during the day it was safer to travel under the darkness of night. They could recognize a station by brightly lit candles or lanterns positioned in the front yard. There they knew they could find help. Working or traveling on the Underground Railroad was dangerous. For runaway enslaved people, there was always the danger of slave catchers. Slave catchers would hunt for the escaping enslaved people with dogs. Slave catchers made money by catching and returning enslaved people to their owners. If they were captured, their owners often beat or killed the runaways to discourage others from trying to escape. Working on the Underground Railroad became against the law in 1850 when Congress passed the Fugitive Slave Act. Anyone aiding or hiding runaways would have to pay a steep fine or be put in jail. Helping enslaved people was now illegal. But nothing stopped the Underground Railroad. Tens of thousands of enslaved people journeyed to freedom. A businessman named Thomas Garrett became a very famous station master. He lived in the slave state of Delaware. There, he turned his home in Wilmington into the last station on the Underground Railroad. It was the last stop before enslaved people reached freedom in Pennsylvania. Garrett helped more than 2,000 enslaved people to freedom. One of the most famous and important conductors of the Underground Railroad was a former enslaved person, Harriet Tubman. 
Harriet Tubman made it to freedom on the Underground Railroad and then made many secret trips back to the South to lead more than 300 enslaved people to freedom. There were many routes to freedom on the Underground Railroad. But how did enslaved people learn about it? How did they know which way to go? The answer is secret codes. Some codes were found in songs. The lyrics in a song called Follow the Drinking Gourd refer to the Big Dipper constellation in the bright north star. The lyrics provided directions on how to get north. Depending on where they lived, it could take over a year for a runaway to make it to the Mason-Dixon Line to freedom. The Mason-Dixon Line was the boundary line between Virginia and Pennsylvania. Some enslaved people traveled by themselves, others in small groups. Even some families risked their lives to escape slavery. All right, that brings us to the conclusion of this broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. I want to thank Otis for his information and commentary that he shared with us tonight. I want to thank thank each and every one of you who have been listening tonight. And I, I hope that if you are not an abolitionist, that you become one. Because, look, we're, fo- we're following in the footsteps of giants, okay? The, the, ab- the uh, fight to abolish slavery in the United States is not done as we were betrayed by Abraham Lincoln and, and the Congress when they put the exception clause in the 13th Amendment allowing for prison slavery. With that said, peace and blessings to all. Stay tuned. Mind, Body, and Spirit Radio is coming up next. Just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff, porn, and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up. No 